Let us pray. Gracious God, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to your scripture this morning, that we would hear the word that you have for us today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Our New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, beginning at verse 24. Jesus is speaking. A disciple is not above the teacher nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light in which you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we've read two tough passages this morning. Many of you know that I returned recently from two weeks in Israel on a pilgrimage organized by Colgate Rochester Crozier Divinity School. And we visited many holy sites. We learned a lot of biblical and modern history about a region that has been occupied by foreign powers for much of the last 2,500 years. It's something that we often don't think about, but at the time of the Babylonian exile, so that was 586 BCE, the Babylonians were in charge of the land, then it was the Persians, and down the line, 
until 1948 with the establishment of the State of Israel. And as you probably know, with the establishment of the State of Israel, it resulted in hundreds of thousands of Palestinians being forced out of their homes and their homes destroyed. Today, Palestinian Arabs live for the most part in the West Bank and Gaza, unable to receive Israeli citizenship, paying taxes, often higher taxes than Israeli settlers, but receiving few services, and barred from traveling on highways reserved for Israelis. A high concrete wall keeps Arabs and Israelis separated with multiple checkpoints through which individuals must pass and be screened even as they travel back and forth to work on a daily basis. It's no surprise then that there is a sense of oppression and loss of homeland among the Palestinian Arab population. Now I don't want to minimize the claims of Israelis as well. It's a very complex situation. During the pilgrimage, we heard, Palestinian, we heard from a Palestinian Christian who directs the Sabeel Ecumenical Liberation Theology Center, what a mouthful, in Nazareth. He told us about his parents, who are Greek Orthodox. His mother is a devout Christian, never misses attending Mass. His father, on the other hand, has stopped attending church. He cannot stand to hear the scripture readings that speak about the favored position of Israel in the sight of God and the restoration of Zion. He and other Palestinians feel oppressed and beaten down by an Israeli government that has occupied their land and taken away their dignity. So he has stepped away from the Christian church. So is this Palestinian Christian's mother clearly the one demonstrating loyalty to Christ and his father not? We'll get back to this question. Looking at this morning's Matthew passage, we see that Jesus is talking about the cost of discipleship. Jesus' disciples were under attack and risked death if they acknowledged Jesus as Messiah, the Christ. These risks and threats caused some families to be divided as persons chose between loyalty to Jesus Christ and Jesus' gospel and loyalty to family. And you'll recall that even Jesus' own family tried to dissuade him from persisting in his ministry. This conflict among and within families was, I think, probably very common. As individuals tried to decide to remain loyal to the faith they had had, or to be loyal to something new. Well, that was true then. Could it be true today? And what about these two words, disciple 
and discipleship. A disciple is a learner, and discipleship is a process. Jesus emphasizes that to be a disciple is to take up the cross and follow him. It is truly a learned discipline with ups and downs along the way. Jesus tells his disciples that it is associated with suffering and loss. Yet they and we are assured of God's presence and the importance of God's call. Now we all have our personal crosses. For some it may be financial stresses, for others family discord or mental health issues or progressive disability. There are many, many crosses that stretch us out, immobilize us, and make us completely vulnerable. These are serious and sometimes tragic life events and they can consume us. They are real and personal. And I'm certain the first disciples struggle with these just as we do. How to be resilient in the face of these threats to our personal integrity is worthy of its own sermon. However, I want to focus today on what it means to take up the cross. That is, the cross of Jesus Christ. What is this cross? And how does it affect the choices that we make? Thomas Long, the theologian and famous preacher, writes in his commentary on this passage, quote, it is simply a fact that the gospel shakes up values, rearranges priorities, reorients goals. Shakes up values, rearranges priorities, reorients goals. That is what the cross does. We grow up learning and acquiring certain values and setting priorities to help ensure our success in life. The cross brings different demands, some compatible with our values, others sometimes in conflict with values that we hold dear. The scripture makes a troubling claim. God wants us to be servants of God's plan for the world, not masters of our own destiny. We're to trust that God knows each one of us down to the hairs of our heads, and that God wants us to be in regular conversation with God about God's plan for the world. And not only what God's intentions for the world are, but what our part is in all of that. There is no one we need fear. There is no loyalty, even to family, that exceeds the loyalty we owe to Jesus Christ and the priorities symbolized by the cross. And that's a tall order because it requires us to resist anything that violates God's love for all persons and for God's creation. So the cross is a terrible burden of being God's love in this world, a commitment to God's presence and God's call. 
Consider what taking up the cross means in our daily lives. In business, it might mean resisting the claim that market forces are sufficient for God. Even though God's desire is to embrace every individual and restore healing community where persons are excluded. In our social interactions, it might mean proclaiming the love of God when we witness mocking contempt for another person or a class of persons. In the church, it might mean being intentional about inclusion even though certain others make us feel uncomfortable and appear to confirm our biases. And consider this. We may not, as Jesus warned the early disciples in Matthew 10, verse 18, be dragged before governors and kings because of our belief in Christ. It may not be that that belief targets us as terrorists as the early disciples were targeted, but we can sympathize with Muslims whose belief in Muhammad unfairly targets them as terrorists. You see, to take up the cross means to identify with the other, whomever that might be, and take their pain upon oneself and respond with love. That becomes a sign of God's presence and God's call. You'll find a quotation from Dietrich Bonhoeffer on the cover of the bulletin. Bonhoeffer writes in the second sentence, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. Bonhoeffer was serious about loyalty to Jesus and the gospel requirement to love others as family and it cost him his life. He loved the Jews who were being vilified and murdered. He also loved the German guards who kept him confined in prison. To have this kind of love at the cost of one's life feels like too great a demand. For many, grace means simply that God loves us and we should get the most that we can out of a world that is nasty and brutish. But discipleship demands a different attitude. It requires us to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with our God, even when we feel threatened, harassed, or persecuted. It means, says Thomas Long, quote, to give one's life away in the name of Christ. And that makes life free, holy, and good. Now we hear this word loyalty thrown around a lot lately, loyalty to a person, loyalty to a system, loyalty to a cause. And in our own day, we experience a crisis of loyalty. We experience this when we consider what it means to take up the cross of Jesus Christ. There are threats all around us and we are asked to make choices every day that reflect where our ultimate loyalty lies. 
To take up the cross means to place greater value on Christ's love for the world than on our own self-worth in the eyes of others. Regardless of our own limitations and disabilities, God calls us into service to be part of God's transformation of this world by and through the love of Christ. Remember the story I began with about the parents of the Palestinian Christian. The mother closed her eyes to the oppression around her and took solace in the liturgy of the church. The father rejected the church because it affirmed the value of a people he had come to hate. So which person demonstrates the loyalty to his gospel that Jesus desires? If one believes that Jesus demands nonviolent resistance by his disciples to promote care and justice for all people, then neither way really takes up the cross. The mother practices piety without true discipleship, it would seem. The father withdraws into his own pain and anger. Their son, on the other hand, is involved in nonviolent resistance to oppression, the oppression experienced by Palestinians, and he seeks peace with justice in spite of peace being so elusive. He directs the Sabil Institute in order to be a voice for Jesus' love. He strives to recognize the pain and humanity of those with differing viewpoints through education and conversation. He conveys hopefulness based on faith in God's presence and God's call. He demonstrates his acceptance of the claim that Christ makes on each one of us to be a faithful disciple, learning each day that one's life is in God's hands. Jesus sends us out in the midst of this world's hostilities to resist the status quo and contribute to healing, justice, and peace. The love of Christ is expansive. It requires a commitment to inclusion when we discover individuals who are left out. It requires a commitment to justice when we observe that an economic and legal system favors some and leaves others in poverty and without hope. It requires a commitment to kindness when we perceive hatred and rejection. It requires a commitment to humility when we would prefer to exert our own influence and interests. The challenge to all of us this morning is to repent of privilege and look with fresh eyes for the cross that we are called to take up as disciples of Jesus Christ. May this happen to God's glory. Amen.